I think this is a lesson for the ages. We really have to know who, who our friends are and who our alliances are with or, or who can have an alliance with because not everyone wants to do what we want to do. And it's a question of, of focusing on a result and then working to get there. Back then, if you, if you were insulted in a way you didn't like by men or you were chased around a desk or whatever, there wasn't anybody you could tell. There wasn't. If it happened to be your boss, who are you going to tell? Go a level above him and you'd probably lose your job if you were woman. Women are the ones more likely to put their finger on something that doesn't seem to be quite right. And particularly if there's a critical mass of women on the board. Hello everyone. Welcome to Powering Up. I'm Ann Doyle. And I'm Dana Harvey. And our guest today is the Honorable Barbara Hackman Franklin, who in 2017 was named by Time Magazine as one of the 50 American women who made U.S. political history. She has served five U.S. presidents, including serving as U.S. Secretary of Commerce. And I mean, her, the awards go on and on and on, but she is also an inductee into the Connecticut Women's Hall of Fame. And I love the fact that she has not only had an incredible career herself, she is a woman who's been lifting other women as she climbed for over six decades in government, in the boardroom and academia. Plus, she was only in her 20s when President Nixon asked her to lead the first White House effort to bring more women into high-level policymaking positions in government. From 1971 to 1973, she nearly quadrupled the number of women in those positions. Right. And her White House story is told in a book which has just been reissued uh, because of the 100th anniversary of women finally winning the right to vote. The book is A Matter of Simple Justice, The Untold Story of Barbara Hackman Franklin and a Few Good Women. Currently, she is now the CEO of an international consulting firm in Washington, D.C. that advises companies doing business globally, particularly in China. So welcome, Barbara, joining us from Washington, D.C. Thank you very much. My, my great pleasure to be with you both. Thank you. You know, Barbara, I am also part of that generation that knows very well what it is like to be the only woman in the room, and not only the only woman uh, in the room, but also to be a very unwelcome interloper on men's turf. So I, I really would like to start by asking you, um, you know, what it was like, take us back to 1971, when here you are, an assistant to the president, and very young woman and asked to bring other women into so-called men's jobs at that time. Uh, give our listeners a sense of what it was like. Well, this is 50 years ago. And I would say first off that it's 180 degrees different from the world we live in today. 
in the first place, there was no consensus in our society then about careers for women. And women were mostly then teachers, nurses, and secretaries. Not very many women were lawyers or managers or scientists or any of those kinds of things. There were some, but still, that there was not consensus about this being such a really good idea. And of course, there was some of that same uh, sense within that Nixon White House. However, when the president wants something, anyone who doesn't believe in it has to kind of back up and keep quiet. Yeah. And but he did want the, it. He did want it. And that was the atmosphere. And there would, there was, I would say, some bald male chauvinism there. But once again, uh, it was muted. And I just had a job to do. And I was brought in to create a new function that didn't exist before and had never been done before. And okay, that's daunting, but I was very determined that I was going to do it. Mm -hmm. Can and you give way, us a little sense of some of the things you had to deal with, though? Uh, that the, the, the sexism that, uh, was, that was much more overt at that time. Yes. Uh, well, let me give you uh, just one story to start. When I first got the job, they, they put me in front of the White House press, but it was only women, about two weeks later. And the women of the press were called into a briefing in the Roosevelt Room. They walked in and they were kind of annoyed to begin with that it wasn't in the briefing room where they felt it should have been, where the guys would have been taken. So they, they come in, I sit down, and the first question out of the box was, you're here to recruit women, then why is your title Staff Assistant for Executive Manpower? <laughs> Now, that shows you several levels of insensitivity. I didn't understand that that was going to be a problem, but those who created the, the job and this briefing should have figured that out too. But it just shows you what that was like. Well, anyway, that's a good question with no good answer. And I felt that the, the briefing went downhill from there, but it really didn't at the end of the day. There was some pretty decent press that came out of it for the reason that gee, there's something really going on there in that White House. And, and that was a plus to start with. This is what we call character building experiences. <laughs> and we carry on. <laughs> but I had a job to do. And the, I'll tell you, the reason I think that that whole effort worked is a, a simple, what we would have called at Harvard Business School, management by objectives. Meaning there were objectives as to what we were, numerical objectives. Well, I had one as to what we were to achieve. And the president required of his cabinet secretaries and agency heads action plans about how they were going to advance women in their departments. And he said, okay, I want those back here in May of 1971. And I want to know who in your department is going to be the point person. And part of my job, besides the recruiting finding of women, was to monitor how the departments and agencies were doing on their targets. And they had numerical targets too. My target was to double the number of women in the top uh, layer. And there were, as I said, different targets in different departments. So that was part of it though, to monitor. This had never been done. So the action plans that came in were, were really not too great, if I have to say so. They had to be worked on a bit. But then, then we, we started, and I just had to be the, the point person in the White House 
for keeping this thing going, doing the monitoring and reporting up the line and the reward that a, a cabinet secretary would get if he, and they were all he's, did a good job uh, was a nice note from the president saying, good for you. If he didn't, he would get another kind of note saying, oh, you missed your target or whatever. And I know that because I was the one drafting the notes and sending them <laughs> up to the president's office. So I, I do know that, it, that leadership counts. And when you do have a leader committed to something like this, and some other people might not be in the same place, a lot can get done. And I, the, the effort was managed, managed, I call it managerial, and I really think that had a lot to do with its success. I worked 24-7, as you can imagine, because the job was overwhelming. So I just had, I had to, and that's what I did. And a lot of people helped. I have to say that. A lot of people helped. We never do anything all by our lonesome. Other people do pitch in and help and, and give us advice and help on the ground. And in, in that case, I had to build, I had to build friends and alliances in that White House and in that administration who could help me to know where job openings were coming up or could help me to know I was getting into trouble some other place with someone that I needed, that kind of thing. And um, I, I think this is a lesson for the ages. We really have to know who, who our friends are and who our alliances are with or, or who can have an alliance with because not everyone wants to do what we want to do. And it's a question of, of focusing on a result and then working to get there. And that, that was pure and simply my, uh, my approach. I have to say, when I got to the White House, I had no staff or a, even a secretary. <laughs> it sounds as if you had a huge job, but an incredible, huge opportunity in front of you as well. Um, and you did get a lot of work, and there's so much more work that had yet to be done from where you started. So given the fact that we're now celebrating the 100th anniversary of women's over 70-year fight right to vote, what do you want our listeners to know about the work that has been done since the last 60 years, since you first put in those efforts to get us where we are today? What do you want our listeners to know about that work? I think a lot has happened since then. Um, and I'm very pleased about that. And I have to say, I think we all owe a great debt to those brave, smart, persistent women decades ago who would not give up their goal. That, that's a really key thing that I think is, is, is going to be true going forward. If, if you set a goal to do something like this, you can't let it go. And they didn't through generations. And that was to have this amendment so women, women could get the vote. Well, lots of things have changed in our society since then. I think now women in careers, are uh, that's an acceptable idea of all kinds of different careers, even though some sectors have been more wide open than others. But really, uh, the opportunities um, are, are really quite huge today. And, and that, that's a definite advancement. And I'm thrilled, and I think we need to go the rest of the way. And, for more women in leadership roles, I'd like to see half of our congressional seats be women, half of our state uh, assembly um, senate seats be women. I'd like to see more CEOs. I'd like to see many more women on boards of directors, et cetera. So I think if, we're, if we want to do those kinds of things, then I, I do believe we need to set some 
targets and begin to work toward them and monitor the same, same management approach. Uh, set a goal, some action plans to go with the goal, set a time frame, and then monitor results. And then when you, you hit one of your milestones, let's say we got to 30 women in, percent of women in the Congress, then celebrate, celebrate the, these things. That's the reward is the, is the celebration. I just think if we're gonna get things done, this is what we need to do. One other thing to, to go back for a minute um, to the White House. One other thing that happened back then, shortly after I got there, was that I was taken to a luncheon by one of the men and he thought he was doing me a big favor to introduce me to whatever the group was. And he said, here's Barbara Franklin, the president's new recruiter for women, for women, and I'm pleased to tell you she's wearing a bra. Now, this was, <laughs> this was of wow. course, the backdrop of the women's movement <laughs> had been very active and bra burning was a, one way to get some attention. Well, I have to tell you, I didn't know what to do with that so I ignored it. <laughs> I just went on and gave my little spiel. Mm -hmm. But I don't believe anything like that, <laughs> so bald, would happen today. And one of the things that's happened in the interim is the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. Back then, if you, if you were insulted in a way you didn't like by men, or you were chased around a desk or whatever, there wasn't anybody you could tell. There mm -hmm. wasn't. If it happened to be your boss, who are you going to tell? Go a level above him and you'd probably lose your job if you were a yeah. woman. Yeah. Now, I think a lot of, of this atmosphere has, has changed. There is recourse now, and I think we should all be grateful for that. One of the things that you mentioned uh, when we talked previously was um, the fact that there's still this, I believe you called it invisible resistance, because as far as women have come and uh, where the pipeline now is exploding with highly educated, prepared, skilled women itching and ready to lead. You've been in the, the professional locker rooms for a long time. What is your sense about this invisible resistance that is still holding women back from uh, appropriate levels in all the levels of leadership that you mentioned, Barbara? I can't explain what it is exactly, but I know that it is there. Or there wouldn't be such a struggle to do things like have more women at, at the highest levels in, in business, or more women in the Congress or wherever. If there weren't something holding us back, we would have been further ahead because there are more women now who are educated. We are half the population. We typically outvote uh, the, the men. So there's still some things in people's minds. Maybe some of it's old stereotypes. I don't know exactly what it is, except that there's still some ground to cover here. There's still something we have to get over, a breakthrough or set of breakthroughs we have to make. If I had the answer to that, <laughs> I would put it right out there, but yeah. I don't have the answer. I think it's almost as though each of us from where we're sitting have to do our part to pave the way for more women in leadership and pave the way for more women to have equality. I think it, it almost comes right down to what each of us does. 
and we do have to support other women. Possibly. Amen. Thank you. And yeah. it was one of the things that I learned from that White House experience also, because the women appointees, then there got to be more of a critical mass as, as we went along, and we would all get together. We could have our meetings. I would invite them to the Kennedy Center President's Box, where I was able to get those tickets. I mean, it was just nice little benefits. They were very supportive of one another. Sometimes we have our own fears, and sometimes those things can be interrupting. Are there any um, examples of, of personal fears that you had to deal with or overcame or any defining moments in your career, or even at that time, that, that took you to the next level? I think that's a very profound question. I think there, there are a lot of, of, of fears and concerns that we have. And some of that is coming out of our cultural experience as women and the expectation of who we are as wives, mothers, nurturers, and so on. So yes, I think there's, there's some of that uh, definitely in, in the mix. Um, I also think often that women aren't willing to take a risk. And taking a risk is, is a good thing as long as it's not a really crazy risk. You, know, you want to take what I call a prudent risk. And um, I did not know, I was not aware of risk taking myself, although it turns out that I was a bit of a risk taker. And I, I saw that in hindsight. My going to the White House was a risk, which I really didn't understand until later. There were friends and colleagues who told me not to do that. That administration, they said, won't do anything for women. Your career's going on nicely. Well, I became convinced the serious, the, there was seriousness in the effort to advance women in that White House, and I decided I would do it. Now, I, I, I'm articulating now that was a risk. It was. But I didn't see it that way. I saw something that I, that I really wanted to do and that was worth doing. And you know, I'm glad I did. I have taken other risks along the line. As I grew older, I became more conscious of it. But I, I think that that needs to be in the mix of, of women in careers. How much risk are you willing to take? And you also have to realize that decisions have consequences. Choices have consequences. If you decide to take one road versus another, there's a consequence to that. And I just think we have not been attuned to even think, think about a career in a longer term sense, the way the men that I was in Harvard Business School were taught to. It's another thing we need to, to help other women with, to coach people along, to think, think a little longer term about your career and your life. This is what the, the battle for equality that, that I was in 50 years ago was all about so that you wouldn't be stuck in a role because you happen to be a certain gender, that you could decide for yourself what your path was going to be in your life. The whole idea was to be able to chart your own course. And I still believe that is, that is the right way. And uh, we have the opportunity here to do this the way women in many parts of the world do not. And I think we should never forget that. 
Barbara, you have served on boards of multiple large global companies, usually the first uh, only woman in the room there. Uh, I know you were named one of the 50 most influential corporate directors in America. And I know that you believe that, uh, that there's a critical need for more women on corporate boards. Why do you believe that? I have seen the power of diversity. I have seen firsthand the power of diversity when it comes to decision-making and outcomes and getting the right things done. And by diversity, I mean, there's gender for sure. There's other aspects of diversity as well, but I've seen that around various board tables and other situations. Decisions are gonna be better and they're gonna be more uh, representative of, of whatever the population is that the decision will impact if you have more women around the table. Now, there's some wonderful studies that have shown that, that companies do better financially if there are more women around that board table. And I like that. I would also add that I, I believe women are, will tend to be more ethically inclined and you know, we have what we call tone at the top. Somebody has to set that, that tone. I mean, it needs to be the CEO, but the board, and you want highest ethical standards in a company. Women are the ones more likely to put their finger on something that doesn't seem to be quite right. And particularly if there's a critical mass of women on the board. I'm hearing you say there are some gender differences. Well, I think there are, and in some cases, this is wonderful. In other cases, it's just something to be understood and to, to, uh, to work around. <laughs> A little diversion on that, on that, Barbara. Would you say that you have also found some allies in men at, uh, 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 over the course yeah. of your, your professional career? I've had the, the, the good fortune to have a number of mentors in my uh, career path. And a lot of them have been men. And I would say that is a general rule, that there are many men who, who really have been very supportive of the idea of women moving up and who have done it, who have, who have walked the talk, the talk and walked the walk. And so it's, it's, a, it's like anything else. It's, it's gonna be a mixture and it's a, different people have different experiences and come out in different places. This is why though, if you're a woman, you need to know who your friends are and who the men are in your surroundings who are going to be supportive and, and helpful. You know, I wanna take us back to the, the young girl who, uh, Barbara, what do you remember about her or that would share with us that now that you look back and say, uh, oh yeah, that little girl had the kind of qualities that clearly you have that have carried you through this uh, really remarkable leadership journey? I think I had the, the, the good fortune of having a father who was ahead of his time when I was growing up. And he, his view was, you can do anything you want to, but do it well. There was always that tagline, do it well. And I think that made a big impression on me. And I think it really, it really helped. At that time, I mean, we're talking about the 50s 
40s and 50s. That was not what fathers were telling their, their daughters to do, I, I don't think. Now, my father also, first we, he was the principal and then he was the supervising principal and then the superintendent of a school. So I was the principal's daughter. I had a younger sister, but I was the first one. I was the principal's daughter. Now, the, the principal's daughter is expected to do good at everything, be, be good at whatever. And I think it probably made a bit of a perfectionist out of me. Now, what else can I tell you about that little girl? She was very active, energetic, uh, trying to do everything, and, and pretty much did. I loved athletics. Um, I played hockey. I was an all-star hockey player. Ah. I was a tennis player. And, ah. and, uh, I this was before play. Title IX. This was before <laughs> Title IX, but you Title had IX. the opportunity to play competitive sports? Well, that, that was in high school, though. That wasn't in college. I guess I, I was always curious um, about something I didn't know. Uh, wanted to learn more. Wanted to understand more kind of liked running things. <laughs> I was, was, was present. You were, a you were one of those bossy little girls. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, that's a dreadful stereotype. Um, <laughs> I was president of the student council. You know, I, I, I did a, a, a lot of things and I've always done that. That is who I am, I guess, at the end yeah. of the day. But always interested in the results, in the results. And, and making the, the world a better place, making our society a better place, lifting women, promoting women, um, doing all I could to, to uh, help women who, who didn't have as much opportunity move forward. I've got a Barbara Hackman Franklin quote here that sort of encapsulates what, what you just said, Barbara. You have said, our society, our country, the globe will be better off the more women we have in leadership Often it is the women who ask the most difficult questions graciously. There's a new generation of young women out there who are leading and pushing um, issues in, in a new way, you know, social media, and they are, you know, protesting and speaking in volumes. You know, what would you say to, the, to those young women as they are using their voices the best that they can um, but with the experience that you have, what do they need to know? Well, I applaud those young women who are inspiring others and are wanting to move ahead themselves and find new ways to do it. Social media does give us a, a, a myriad of new ways to reach people and to influence the thinking of people. I would say to them also, besides the new tools and all of that, we go back to where we were before, have a plan, have a goal, have action plans around that goal, put a time frame around it, monitor how things are going. And when you see some progress, then, then the reward is that you celebrate it. You've got a lot more ability as, as young people to get the word, the word out, get your plan out, get your, your alliances and friends together. Um, it's a marvelous time, actually, to be a young woman. You know, we, are, we had this conversation, this fantastic conversation with you, um, really just a few days after August 26th, 2020, which was the 100th anniversary of women's long and very bitter and very difficult fight uh, to uh, win the right to vote. And uh, 
I just watched the PBS documentary, powerful documentary called Vote about that. And I know a lot about that fight, but I had no idea how difficult that fight was. And I think it's a really fantastic reminder for all of us to watch that documentary, to understand what is required for women to continue uh, what's going to be a very long fight for equal power. Yes. Absolutely. I agree. I have seen the documentary. I want to see it again. And the thing about those women is that they never lost sight of what they were trying to achieve. And that was an amendment that would guarantee the vote. And I think as time goes on and we work at other issues, if there is a goal worth fighting for, not to get diverted from the goal, but to, to, to continue until it's achieved. I, I, I admire them more than I can begin to say. What, what they did was just, uh, was just amazing. Yeah, and I, uh, and I feel this uh, very powerful sense there are now four incredible generations of highly educated uh, women. Never in the history of the world have there been so many. And I feel the frustration of us needing to learn to leverage our collective power and go after a goal with the kind of focus that you're talking about, Barbara. Absolutely. I second that. <sighs> Well, congratulations uh, on your fascinating career, your own career, which our listeners can read more about in the book, Simple Justice, The Untold Story of Barbara Hackman Franklin and a Few Good Women. Barbara, and I, I, I would like to thank you um, on behalf of both you know, myself and Anne for all the decades of work that you've done to open the doors of opportunity for other women. You have literally lived the suffragist mantra of lift as you climb. So, so thank you. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. That's very kind. Thank you very much. But we, we all have to do the same thing. That, that's the bottom line here. I'm Ann Doyle. And I'm Dana Harvey. And let's all go power, power up. Thanks for joining us at Powering Up. We hope you'll subscribe and share us with your network. And Dana and I would love to hear from you through the Powering Up Women Facebook page or at Ann Doyle LDR on Twitter. Or at Dana Harve on Twitter. And remember, power is the currency for getting things done. Claim yours and put it to work.